Destination Medicine is a collaborative initiative of regional training hubs. With first-hand lessons learned from those who have gone before, this podcast is designed to assist and inspire anyone interested in pursuing a medical career in rural and regional Australia. Welcome to Destination Medicine. I'm Nicole Goodman. These days, Rachel James is a happy, hard-working and committed GP obstetrician living and working in Daniloquin, southwest New South Wales. But she's the first to admit that her journey into medicine was slow. Rachel loved the arts. She loved performance and dance and completed an arts management degree before realising that her heart wasn't in it. OK, she thought. Her next plan was science. But a science degree later she still didn't feel she was in the right place. But the idea of medicine had been percolating in the back of her mind for a while. She saw it as a career where she could work with people and help them at the same time. So yes, it was quite a journey for Rachel to reach her perfect career. She takes Chris Ashmore back to the start. I didn't come from a medical background and certainly at high school I didn't have many thoughts of that. My mum suggested it to me when I was in high school actually because she was aware I kind of wanted a job that would help people and as a normal teenager I kind of fobbed her off pretty quickly (laughs) and I started on an arts degree actually in arts management at WAPA and then I wasn't really enjoying it. It wasn't really giving me what I wanted so then I moved to science And I enjoyed science, but once again, it wasn't really giving me what I wanted. You know, being in a lab and not talking to anybody for 12 hours was just a bit beyond my capabilities. And so then medicine started to pop up again in my mind because I kind of felt like it was a very good blend between science and communication. And I also felt that it was going to give me a meaningful career. And so that's when really the thought of medicine started to really form in my mind and I suppose from high school as well you know I didn't really feel like I had much chance of getting into medicine it was something that other people did so once I kind of gave myself permission to start thinking that it was possible it all just came together really well I applied for the GAMSAT and sat the GAMSAT got a mark got an interview and got in in the first year when I wasn't expecting it at all and I was actually touring Europe at the time that I had to put my preferences in and on a hunch I put down Flinders in Adelaide because I heard that they had a really good program and my parents accidentally found out I was moving to Adelaide via email streams (laughs) while I was in Europe. So it all just formed very quickly from that point and it hasn't failed, I have to say that. A career in medicine gives you so many options, whether or not it's with patients directly or outside of that direct clinical relationship and it has really given quite a meaningful career where you do feel like you're contributing to something bigger than you which I find very worthwhile. Well you haven't looked back and uh, you moved into general practice. Take me back to when you were interested in doing general practice as a career. That took a while as well because I suppose I entered medicine with not having much idea of where I was directed and like many healthy young people you see your GP as somebody you go to you know when you unwell every now and again so you really don't see the full job of general practice and how important it really is in our healthcare structure but during my medical training at Flinders I just kept on getting 
rural rotations and rural GP rotations, which really let me see kind of behind closed doors as to how much a GP does and how much a country GP does and how much that supports the community and the health of their community. And I suppose at that point, I started to get interested. At the same time, I was also very interested in obstetrics and gynaecology once again, because, you know, who doesn't love bringing a baby into the world and helping with that? It's one of the best moments in medicine when a baby is born and it cries. So I was really enjoying that too. And I was struggling to kind of know my place and to know whether it was specialist OG or GP. Then a few people suggested to me, well, why don't you do both? You could do rural GP with obstetrics. And I did a few rotations like in Narrow Court, South Australia, where they were doing both. And that was it. That was kind of decided after that point, because I just loved the continuity of GP. I loved the obstetric practice too. And I loved the continuity I could bring to obstetrics and taking care of mums and bubs well after they've had their babies. And it just kind of developed from there slowly. So I suppose I discovered what I liked rather than decided what I liked, which I think is a really good way going through medical training. You know, you might say one thing when you start and you come out as a completely different doctor at the end. What pathway did you take to fellowship? Which college did you select to your fellowship? I went with ACRAM, which is the Australian College of Rural and Remote Medicine, partly because I knew that I wanted to do rural obstetrics, so country GP. And that's the college that has been designed for that type of training. You can do it with RACGP as well, and they offer a FAR GP, which is their rural qualification. So there is two pathways. But I decided on ACRAM in the end because it gave me the flexibility I needed in my training to get some emergency medicine training as well as some anaesthetic training, as well as the GP side. In addition, I just kind of felt that the correspondence that they were sending me was more relevant to me, like the issues that they were talking about and discussing and corresponding with were all rural related whereas I felt a little bit separated from RACGP at times. And that was my main reason from going with them. And I haven't looked back. Their courses are great. The training that they provided with the procedural logbook really mimicked what I was doing day to day. And the exams mimicked what I was doing day to day as well, because the exams were part emergency medicine, part GP, part obstetrics, part anaesthetics, which kind of does symbolise as to what you're doing in the country, more so than, I suppose, a mainstream GP so you've got to do mainstream GP as well with a few extra flourishes. But in all honesty, the core job of GP is just, it's fantastic. And both colleges do give you that in the end. It was just my choice was with ACRAM. Terrific. And how would you describe your current role? My current role, I kind of sometimes see myself as almost like an old-fashioned GP because we do a little bit of everything. It's been a particularly hard year with COVID. We live in a town that has not had one single COVID case, so we've been very lucky on that front. But being a border New South Wales community with Victoria, it's been very difficult to try to get people access to the healthcare that they need during this time, especially when a lot of our referrals usually go down to Victoria, Melbourne way. So that's been an added difficulty. But I'd say that 80% of my time is GP practice, which is great. Trying to manage somebody's hypertension or their high cholesterol and people coming back and they've lost five, six kilos of weight and they're doing a lot better is the core of medicine. In addition to my GP duties, I'm on call for the emergency department about once or twice a week. And that is a busy little ED department. We've got a CT scanner as well that helps us out in many cases. 
And then I got my obstetrics as well. So I've got women sign up to have their antenatal care directed by me along with our midwives and they see me for every antenatal visit and I'm there for their delivery as well. And I follow them through to after they've had their baby. Sometimes they go back to their regular GP after that. Sometimes they stay with me. So when I walk around town, I see lots of little bubs and toddlers and <laughs> getting to toddlers now. I've been in Deniloquin for about two and a half years. So they're toddlers, the ones I've delivered. <laughs> Is there any piece of advice that you received during your training that has stuck with you? Hmm. Well, there's so many pieces of advice. I think the best piece you can have is to just give everything a go and not say no to opportunity. So if you are offered a rotation that's a little bit outside of your comfort zone or not quite where you're expecting to be in your career, especially in med school, now's the time to try so just sign up to rotations if you have the ability that takes you out of your comfort zone, that gives you a direction that you might not have otherwise taken. Because even if you're not going to be a rural GP, getting rural GP exposure is a great way to go. So you have some understanding of your colleagues in the bush. And to try to find what you enjoy rather than decide upon a path. And I think being open to those possibilities is a great way forward. Have you ever had a mentor? I've had several mentors during my career and I suppose not all of them are formal and you'd probably say that some of them might not even know that you're their mentor <laughs> but you certainly have people in your career that stay in your memory and form very good examples of what it's like to be a good doctor and just how many possibilities there are. So you know I would say that how you do your job day to day and how you act day to day does have an impact not only on your patients but your colleagues around you. So by trying to be a good example that you are the support person to other people without even knowing sometimes. Mm. What's been your most rewarding role and why? And what's the most rewarding thing about being a, a GP? Oh, there's so many times. I think I actually find a lot of reward in palliative care, even though it's a really hard area of medicine. There's been a few of my patients that I've had in Deniloquin that I've actually managed while they're fairly well, but going through treatment for certain reasons and then switching over to palliative care and then managing to the end of life with them and their family. And I find that incredibly rewarding and very special to be part of people's families as they're going through something so significant in their lives. And I hope that I make it a little bit better by just knowing that they have somebody to talk to, as well as managing all the medical side of things, you know, like their pain and any distress that they have. I think every time I deliver a baby, it's pretty rewarding. My heart rate's very high until that baby cries and then it goes down a little bit and then my heart rate goes back to normal once the placenta's delivered and I know that there's going to be no further bleeding. So I think every time that happens, it's really rewarding. Any particular times, it would be that for women that have very few resources to access other healthcare, we have a lot of women in rural areas that drive up to two hours to see me in a rural town for their care. And you just think if you're not here, what type of journey are they having then? You know, they're driving hours to seek help. So when we're able to offer that service into Neloquin and deliver their baby and they get to stay in their local town with their bub, that's really special. You know, you see the families come in afterwards and the little kids coming in to meet their new sibling. And that's something that they wouldn't have otherwise if our service wasn't there. So I think that's quite special. Mm. Well, there's some of the rewards, which is terrific. But what about some challenges? Are there any challenges that you face? Lots of challenges. 
and the fact of the matter is we just need more people. You know, I think that at the moment, me and my husband have one of the best jobs in medicine. We just have a bit too much of it. And if we could work two thirds of what we're working now, that would probably be optimal. So I think the more people that jump on the bandwagon, the better the job will be, so to speak. So one of the challenges is certainly the hours and the amount that we work and there's no easy way to sugarcoat that. We do work more than we need to or want to, but it's just really hard being that person. You know, if there's only so few people in town that can provide those services and those services are needed at that time, you know, you can't really say no morally or ethically. So that's probably our biggest challenge at the moment. Other challenges would be being away from family especially last year with COVID. Most of the time we have like a revolving door of visitors to our house with relatives that stay two or three weeks and, you know, just take care of our property because we own like about 40 acres of land. So Mm. everybody does a little job. I say nobody gets out of staying at our place without contributing (laughs) somewhat. So I've got them digging up flower beds and things like that as they're there, which everybody seems to enjoy. Whereas last year with COVID and we weren't allowed any visitors at all, you suddenly felt more isolated than I have done before so that's hard and I think the other hard thing is keeping up your skills so you want to be in town to provide all of these services and you are needed more often than not and yet you need to be able to show that you're keeping up your accreditation that you're keeping up to date and doing that can be quite the struggle because it usually means leaving town although I would say that that is a silver lining with COVID the amount of courses and that have realized that they can now be online is quite amazing it's sad that it's required a pandemic for them to realize this but it's certainly making a difference to us in the country where we can suddenly be part of committees and we can be part of training programs and still get access to all the services that we wouldn't have otherwise absolutely and with those challenges do you think there are any particular personal qualities or attributes that would help to be a gp you got to like talking to people and you you really need to enjoy holistic care because sometimes you're treating the patient more than a number and more than an organ. So sometimes you meet patients that have multiple healthcare needs and technically they need to see a specialist for each one of them and that requires driving multiple locations around the state for them. And they might go, I don't really want to focus on this at the moment. It's my hip that's causing me the most amount of pain, whereas your agenda is quite different. And you've got to take that in consideration and go, okay, well, what do you want to do? And you've got to be that person that is allowed to have, I suppose, a patient-led agenda rather than your led agenda, which can be quite difficult at times. So I think somebody that has the ability to do that and see the patient in entirety and understand that it's their life is very important. I think communication skills is incredibly important and I think having compassion and empathy is very important. And a lot of medical students go into med school having that compassion and empathy, but it's hard to leave medical training with that still intact given the hours that junior doctors work and the demands on them. So I think having the ability to hold on to that is very important. And are there any areas of medicine you've sought additional training that adds to your everyday practice? Well, that would be the obstetrics, really. So I did two years of ONG training to help me with this job. That's actually a little bit overkill. You can do a year, 
but you don't finish the year and then you're a qualified obstetrician. It doesn't work that way. You do a year of hospital work and then you join a smaller rural practice and then you learn from your seniors in that practice as well. So, you know, you continue to learn. But that would be the area where I've done additional skills. And I also did a year of paediatrics as well. So that's child health to develop my skills outside because my thought process was, well, if I'm delivering a baby out in the sticks, I've got to know what to do with the baby once it's delivered. (laughs) So I wanted some further training in neonatology, but also paediatrics, which has really complemented both sides of my training very well. Tell me about the advanced life support program you did. So that was part of my ACRIM training during those years. The Advanced Life Support 2 is a course that a lot of medical people do to help them develop skills for the very pointy end of medicine, I suppose, like your resuscitations and when people crash and don't have a heart rate and what to do in those situations. Because as you can imagine, it's a very stressful situation. So we like to do courses that teach us a framework so we don't get lost in the stress and the busyness of the situation to help the patient. And that's what ALS2 gives you. So we were lucky enough to first do our training in ALS2, but now both me and my husband have been trained as rural instructors as well. So the aim of this is that people don't have to go outside of their region in order to get the same training that you would do if you're in a metro area. So the idea is that we're building our skills up from a regional basis so we can support ourselves, sustain ourselves and not always having to outsource our ability to upskill. And that's one of the reasons why we trained as an instructor. And what advice would you give to a JMO considering a career as a general practitioner? I'd say go for it because general practitioner, you can kind of make the job whatever you want it to be. So you get a lot more freedom compared to other specialties. Becoming a rural GP even more so that you really do get a good range of abilities and skills because I am going to push the rural mark because we want people to come out to the country and help. But it gives you a lot of flexibility. It gives you a lot of ability to kind of even focus on interests that you like. And it gives you a lot of ability to really help patients along. There's a lot of evidence that says that you increase the number of GPs in a region and mortality and morbidity decrease, whereas that doesn't necessarily happen when you become a specialist. In addition to that, looking at more, I suppose, financial and practical considerations, if you become a GP, you are able to get fellowed a lot faster than some of your other colleagues that might go down specialist routes. Not to put people off being a specialist as well, like if you're a specialist general physician and you move to regional Australia, you're going to do so much good as well. There's so many ways to help in the medical world. But I do have friends in that that have focused on other specialist training programs and they're just starting to get on the programs now, whereas I've fellowed last year. So if you're looking at a way that want to get fellowed and want to get working, GP can be a really good way forward that way. And you can work anywhere and you can work everywhere and there's more work than you can possibly imagine. So you're never going to be out of work. You're never going to be trying to find a job when you're doing GP and you're doing good quality work. Well, final question, Rachel, and um, perhaps looking back over your career thus far, and I'm sure you've got many years in front of you too, um, any particular memorable moments that uh, you look back at? Any fond memories? So many. I suppose I had one patient recently that she was an Aboriginal patient that had very few options for healthcare, 
and she wanted a delivery in Deniloquin and she was wanting something called a VBAC, which is a vaginal delivery after cesarean section. We do offer them in Deniloquin, but they're a more difficult thing to manage and we managed to do it and she had a normal delivery, which meant the world to her because it meant then she didn't have to recover from a surgery while taking care of her youngest child as a single mum. And that felt pretty good. It felt pretty good that we were able to help her along her way in a location that she felt safe and had support. So that was a pretty special moment. Dr Rachel James, GP obstetrician, Deniloquin. This is Destination Medicine. Thanks for listening. Regional training hubs are supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Programme.